Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Movie Mastery. It is the podcast where we watch the movies that you tell us to. I am your host, John. With me, my co-host, Jeff. Greetings. It is time for us to season's greet. (laughs) Greet the season, pawn the morrow. Ah, I don't think I've ever wished more than I just watched a Christmas movie instead. Right? God, we watched... (laughs) Baby Ghost from 1995. Yep, sure did. A movie that you have only heard of because Riff Tracks did anything with it. Oh, they did? Oh, dang. I thought we found this one first. Nope. I think uh, I think Riff Tracks got a hold of this one yeah. uh, a bit ago. Because I have not seen this one in my usual gluttonous uh, gathering up of every other bad movie review thing, like your red letter medias and your flop houses. I thought we might be the first out past the post, but... There's a reason I thought that, and we'll get into it in a second. Ah, but uh, we've got <laughs> a 95 film with good old Joe Estevez. Estevez. Hey, that's part of the reason. Hey, there it is. Joe Estevez, known for the Roller Blade 7. Uh, yeah, he's also known for Werewolf. Um and uh, uh, Return Soul- of the Rollerblade Seven, Soul Taker, I think, and, and those the, are the, mi- the those are the Mystery Science Theater ones, and the Rollerblade Seven Return. Uh huh. <laughs> so basically, there is a stratus layer when it comes to bad movies that make their rounds on the internet. You've got the ones that are competent yet bad that are still kind of movies and, and are shot like movies and so on. The Room is a great example of that. The kind of th- or Birdemic, the kind of thing where. You would go see it in a midnight movie theater to laugh at it because it's got some idiosyncrasies. It's, I mean, those are sort of the very low end of the, oh, wow, what a very shittily made movie. Yeah. Ha, and how be- funny. Below that, you've got the level of the the uh, enormous amount of self-regard, uh, res- like, the uh, the Vanity Project films. You know, everything by by uh, Neil Breen, Gedevin, uh, you name Take it. Take Yeah. Any, any one of those, Monos is one of those, for example, proof that the guy could make a movie even though he was like a lawnmower or fertilizer salesman or something. Uh, and those are usually way worse because they're slow and boring, but they're, they're a stratum. And then you've got a lower stratum below that that's even But this is this is the shot on VHS, edited in camera, uh, clearly shot over one night in in the same student film uh, college room that they the, uh, the the student who made this was working in. This is at that level. We've only watched maybe two of these movies in our entire time at Movie Mastery. I'm counting Goth as one of the other ones. Yeah. It is. It's the type of movie where this feels like, I mean, even though it has, you know, Joe Estevez in there, Martin Sheen's younger brother, it's still like, oh, this feels like something a teenager got a camcorder and made. Yes, exactly. This this is. This is at that bottom barrel level, which is a weird level to be at. Like, I would have rather watched something like Titanic, the animated film. Oh, no, this is yeah. this is like a college improv group filmed something. Yes, except that the college level. improv group kind of is funny. Like, this Hey, is- don't you dare say that. Not on this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> hey, sometimes they are. Like, all your favorite celebrities usually were in a college improv group. Yes, and they all suck. <laughs> but... But yeah, I mean, this is at that level where, like, ratatouing lives, where every scene is ten minutes long because they just kind of laboriously explain every little thing. Yeah, there's... It is definitely a movie where you're like, oh, the basic 
idea of how to pace and shoot and edit and everything mm-hmm. is completely missing. Yes. Like you you've seen a movie, you know what they basically are Mm -hmm. and you're like i could make that and no indeed you cannot (laughs) it's we've talked about this before in a couple movies it's definitely one of those ones where you can feel even though you can't see them because the camera's pointed the other way you can feel the director on the other side doing that finger rolling stretch this out a little more gesture for the entire runtime just like no estevez just say a few more things about newspapers just just keep talking just keep talking about how your house is nice just keep doing that See, whereas I'm like, I 100% believe all of this is scripted ah. because this feels like the kind of thing where, in addition to all of the other, writing a movie is also incredibly difficult to be like, oh, yes, I know what punchy, get to the point, move on dialogue sounds like. And this is very much like, ah, yes, you have also done a thing. I have done that thing. And I have th- this opinion about it. Your opinion about it? My goodness. Here's my opinion about it. And you're like, oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, exactly. And and uh, we it also it's one of those movies that doesn't have enough microphones to go around. Uh, you know what? Let's let's put that on the. I don't want to talk forever. We'll eventually start reviewing the movie instead of the spoiler free review. The spoiler free review is simple. It's impossible to find this unless you're willing to pay Amazon two dollars, and you shouldn't need to anyway. It's garbage. It should be buried for a reason. No, I. <laughs> the budget of this couldn't have been two dollars. Yes. Why did we pay two dollars to watch this? <laughs> Each. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is absolutely awful. It is without getting into spoilers. Just, I would say that very bottom tier of movies that we watch, where you're like, hey. Was this actually a movie? <laughs> yeah. The only other one I could even think of that I would count in that range that we have watched is Moontrap Target Earth. Uh, the, they're the three that feel like this wasn't even really like a movie. They're, they didn't really have sets or plans. They just sort of were like, ah, we'll just do whatever. And at the end of the day, it'll probably be about an hour and 15 minutes. Yeah. God, the fact that this movie is an hour and a half long murders me. I'm yeah. like, how did you take this absolute crap and go, yeah, but we're not going to stop at the normal, like, 70-minute mark. We're going to keep going for the full 90. Yeah. Like, my dude, why? Well, get ready for it. Uh, just, you know, don't watch it. Yeah. I- I'm pretty sure this was brought to you by the makers of Roller Gator. So if you've watched at least that one make its rounds on uh, the various bad movie channels, then you kind of have a-, a decent idea of what to expect. Yeah, the director of this is uh, the person who brought us Roller Gator and all of the various Rollerblade 7 movies. Mm-hmm. And, you know, stuff like Ghost of El Chupacabra and <laughs> Max Hell Frog Warrior, a Zen rough cut. Oh, that's him? Yeah. Oh, shit. We're going to get yelled at. Oh, no. That guy that well, that guy chased down, I forget, I think it was Lindsay Ellis or someone, someone like that, or, or uh, uh, Obscurus Lupa, one of the uh, one of the people who came out of the whole... Uh, now, note this critic. is the producer of that. Oh, okay. I don't know if yeah. the director is different. Well, okay, one of the people from that whole Nostalgia Critic family of early YouTube bullshit times did a review of Max Hell, the Zen Adventure, which is technically the third uh, Hell Comes to Frogtown movie. Uh, and he rel- relentlessly legally pursued her until she took it down and issued an apology. Wow. So watch out for that. Good Lord. <laughs> Listen to this one while you can. <laughs> I cannot wait to finally be harassed. <laughs> All right. We are going to go ahead and play you 
I'm just going to go ahead and say it. You're going to hear the wonderful theme to Baby Ghost, and then we will be right back with the full reviews of 1995's Baby Ghost. Back, it's time to talk about Baby Ghost. <laughs> yes, Baby Ghost. Baby Ghost. I saw the picture on the IMDb preview page, and I was trying to figure out what the hell this even was. And I thought, I was pretty sure we were going to get something on the level, you know, again, in that Z-grade schlock level film of, like, Shark Exorcist or something like that, where maybe there's a CGI shark for, like, a split second, and that's the entirety of it. But no, instead, we're shaking a puppet around and then using... uh composite shots to kind of insert it into the frame so that people are just waving their arms at nothing yes it's uh it's all done with it's it's a uh, low lo-fi special effects here they, they they used a real puppet the weird but- thing to me is they went to the trouble to make a baby ghost puppet which just i mean it's probably the best thing in this it looks like it's the popple puppet that, itself it looks like a popple that went through the wash too many times except like it washed up on the beach whenever they do the ghost effects they're like, oh, it's completely see-through. You can see, like, maybe an inch total of this puppet at any given moment. It isn't until, like, the end of this movie that you finally go, oh, that's what that thing looks like. Yeah, there's a couple shots here and there, like when it's uh, stealing the scissors or eating the donuts, where you can kind of see what they had in mind. You can finally tell that it actually has, like, matted, shitty hair, like, all the way down its back. Like, I'm not kidding. It's supposed to be, like, a baby ghost. That's the idea behind it. A ghost of a baby or just a baby, a ghost that is a baby. It doesn't matter what. But it really does look like a popple they found in the sewer. It's it's just bad. It's and, a bad yeah. bad movie and prop and everything. And if you're not if you're not like me, a, a desperately terrible old from the seventies, then you probably maybe don't remember what popples are. So you can just look that up and see for yourself. It was an eighties doll that was like a little monster that could fold into its own stomach and become a ball. <laughs> there you go. That's what a popple was. They look like shit. This thing looked like shit. There you have it. Ah. Joe Estevez looked like shit. <laughs> Joe Estevez, absolute shit. <laughs> and we open with him as he is a put-upon, hardworking mall photographer, like a Sears portraiture artist. Except, Except that either Sears or mall is too much credit. Yeah, no. Instead, <laughs> he works in just some apartment building, yeah. but it is not where he lives. Instead, it is an supposed to be an office building yeah i spent forever trying to figure out what the fuck they actually used for their set their scene setting uh was it was it uh an apartment complex was it an industrial complex like a like an office building where you know it's a, su- a collection of suites like maybe his is the door to a dentist office etc i eventually settled on school they are filming inside of a film school because of the different types of uh aeds and and uh fire extinguishers and shit that are just awkwardly bolted to the walls here and there so I think they're they're filming in the halls of a college. See, I eventually fell on that they were filming apartment building. A, no, in an office building because there is one scene where uh, oh, the, the two lobby? shitty crooks are coming through that you see a like a double door in the back that has one of those like. This is a plaque for who works here. Oh, okay. and it's blurred. And you're like, oh, they didn't have the rights to show who works here. So they have one of those slide in plaques where you can say things. We go, oh, it's Dr. Letterkenny, DDS. And you're exactly. like, ah, oh, sweet 391. And they were like, well, we can't have that on screen. People will sue us. Yeah, except 
instead of just going, oh, we should probably film this someplace that doesn't prominently display that in the background, they were like, ah, we'll just blur it. It's fine. <laughs> hey, we were running out of locations. We've used the hallway. We've used the same hallway from a different angle. <laughs> We've used the elevator we put around one, the elevator we put near guy, the elevator we put one guy's office immediately adjacent to the elevator like not even through another door the elevator opens on his office yeah it's fine don't worry about it god bless <laughs> i love that they were just like look we've got about a a 20 foot radius from this elevator that we can film uh-huh. in <laughs> so <laughs> playing winslow Cobblepot. That's Joe Estevez. He is a hapless, middle-aged, uh, shlemy, uh, just the target of life's many different ways of kicking you in the ass type of guy. And he's a photographer, and he's taking pictures of a shitty 90s kid with a bowl cut that has a rat tail coming out the back who will not smile. And he's got he's got a mom who's there with her two daughters, and the mom is just the worst. Everybody's the worst. The only thing that makes it okay is that there's only one microphone available for this <laughs> shooting set scene so whenever the mom says the worst stuff you can't hear it because she's not near the microphone it's only near joe estevez oh the it's one of those things where i was like oh you want to establish that this guy has a shitty job trying to take pictures of kids Mm -hmm. and that you know the people he is doing this for sucks but i kept going like oh he he's trying to get this kid to smile for a picture and the kid's just an asshole and the mom is just standing there being mean and i'm like You'd think if you brought your kid here for a picture, the mom would be like, hey, Timmy, fucking smile. Yeah. Instead, the mom vents all of her frustrations onto Winslow, including like, how come you can't make my kid smile? Incidentally, I refuse to talk to my own child. Uh, so, so yeah, she, she, uh, eventually the kid starts blowing bubble gum, which, you know, reasonable gag if you wasn't stretched to about five minutes of watching this kid blow bubbles. Yeah. That is, well, it's, it's definitely, the very start of this, you're like, oh, I see what this is going to be. Because yeah. instead of it being like, oh, man, don't blow bubbles. And then you move on to the next thing because you're like, oh, I get it. I get that gag. Yeah. You're like, oh, he's going to say, oh, no, oh, no don't blow that. Oh, if you blow bubbles, I can't take a picture. Oh, no, those but you should blow the, the bubbles covers. And I'm like, dude, this takes so long. Yeah. You don't need to say this it's, over and over because they only had X number of scenes. And so when they realized they weren't going to add up to a movie, they just stretched all of them. And you can tell they did that in a couple of scenes in particular, uh, notably after this sequence where he gets berated by the mom for, for uh, trying to get the gum off the kid's face. The kid pretends to be hurt by this. And she's like, how dare you hurt my son? I'll have you hauled up on charges or at the movie's parlance. Um, and then, like, she sends her kids, her other two kids, to go get candy bars, and he tries to pitch in for one. She's like, no, you're going to do it. And then eventually, finally, she gets mad, and the whole family stomps off, and he can't get his check from them for this job. Um, then he decides to call his favorite psychic after checking his horoscope and getting a weird result. And the reason I was talking about stretching is because halfway through the conversation with the psychic scene... We switch from the one static shot we've had of him talking to her the whole time to a new one where it's shot from a different angle, extremely tight close-up because they changed backgrounds. They didn't have access to that office anymore, so now they're shooting him in front of some red wall. Oh. The red, there was no red in the room until that shot, and then that's the only shot they used going forward. So they just missed half the scene and had to film it later in a different location. Yeah. <laughs> now, you jumped ahead of very important plot things Sure, here. of course. Let's go right on back. So I'd hate to miss anything. The two kids that aren't the ones being photographed for this shitty family 
want to go find some candy bars. Yes. And I love it when they walk outside because it's your first realization that, no, this isn't a mall. No, because it starts and you're like, oh, this is like Doug Funny's dad or mm-hmm. Goofy himself who's yeah. like, oh, I work in either, you know, one of those strip malls or an actual mall where, you know, you've got like, oh, we take pictures of kids. But no, they just walk outside and you're like, oh, this is some fucking sterile hallway. Yeah. <laughs> but like... Their whole thing is they're going to go do this. And, of course, Winslow's like, hey, if you're going to go get a thing, let me give you a dollar and get me a Milky Way. And she's just like, my child is not a delivery service. Yeah. yeah. But that is where we are introduced to this building's security cop guy who is just like, a child, I must murder her. Yes. And uh, yeah, because he's a practical joker is supposed to be the deal with the cop. He's a practical joker and a survivor of Nam, where he was a prisoner of war. Yeah. So he jumps out at her while she's just trying to walk around these empty, sterile hallways. You can tell that if you're ever in one of those buildings that has these kind of hallways and those kind of office suites, either you've got really shitty dental insurance or your life has gone awry. <laughs> Anytime you're in one of those buildings, you're like, geez, yeah, there sure are a lot of public notaries in here. Yay. And for Joe Estevez, <laughs> it's that his life went awry. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So he jumps out and goes, what are you doing here? And she just punches him in the nuts and runs. Yeah. So now we get a chase scene between the two of them, which is very important because it leads to the titular baby ghost. Exactly. She goes and runs and finds some storage room where just sitting on top of a barrel is a little box that someone has doodled various things they believe to be occult symbols on. Yeah, you've got like the... the ba- Eye of Horus. Yeah, the, you, basically they doodled on... Not quite a pentacle. <laughs> <laughs> basically they had the list of the shapes of Lucky Charms and they just went with that. <laughs> you got hearts and stars and clovers. <laughs> uh, but it is also wrapped in chains that you could just sort of slide off. Yeah, I love that they're all wrapped around it in one direction, so you could easily just pick it up by the side and lift it, and the chains would fall away. Yes, indeed. There's no crossing of chains here. And the chains are kept in place by a padlock. Modern padlock. Note that this box was supposed to have been sealed away 300 years ago. Uh-huh. But, but whatever. But no, we just got a modern padlock on there. And you think, oh, a padlock is obviously going to thwart this little girl, right? No, because she just tries her mommy's measurements. And her mommy's measurements are 36, 24, 36. Not 36, 24, 58, thank you. Oh, I'm you. sorry. They gave her huge titty, I guess. Big old dumper. Yeah, except that we actually got to see the mom. So yeah, I'm just saying they should have just said, like, I'll use Marilyn Monroe's measurements or whatever the fuck. Yeah, because, I mean, at the end of the movie, when they, of course, open it again at the very end, someone's like, hey, you remember Cousin Elvira? And you're like, okay, that's a gag. Yeah. You can use those measurements, sure. But the lady was just like, hello, I am a regular ass lady. Yeah. The whole, the entire family is only in the movie for the brackets, so like the first and last five minutes. And so they just look like someone that happened to be in that office building. And Joe Estevez was like, hi, I'm famous star Joe Estevez. Perhaps you've heard of my brother. Perhaps you've heard of the rest of my family. <laughs> I'm related to many famous people, including a mighty duck. <laughs> One mighty duck, please. <laughs> And they're like, uh, okay, we'll be in your movie. Sure. So that's that, because that's their level. Yeah. So this is how the baby ghost gets out. She runs away from this security guard, finds a fucking box, randomly manages to open it on the first try, and then punches the guard in the nuts again when he shows up and runs away. Yeah. Um, (laughs) 
But she doesn't even open the box. The box just rattles and opens itself a little time later. Yes. She takes the chains off, but we mm-hmm. don't get the ghost yet. Yeah. So now she escapes this guard, uh, connects back up with her other sister, who I guess found a vending machine because she has the candy. And then the whole family gets mad and leaves after another extended bit of shtick where the boy no longer has bubblegum, but instead has an ice cream bar that he is just liberally slathering his own face with. Yes. And the mom is still just standing there staring dully at uh, Joe Estevez like, what are you going to do? This is your job. You got to get good pictures of this kid. And then they just sort of leave. And the gag is like, oh, my check. You need to give me a check. And I'm like, I don't know that you ever took a picture. No, it didn't seem like you ever took a picture of it. Maybe he already got the rest of the family there was, or, and the group shots and all that. Like, whatever the plan was. I mean, it's not like anyone showed up for pictures. All of them are just like, I am in a gray T-shirt. Yeah. Well, like I said, they all look like they were just, they just happened to be in that building that day. And someone was like, you want to be in a big Hollywood picture? Too bad. You want to be in this? <laughs> um, so, yeah, then feeling defeated and just shat on by life. Uh, Winslow, who has a tendency to ask God why God is heaping these troubles upon him, uh, decides to check his horoscope. And he's excited because he has not checked his horoscope today. Oh, goodness. He forgot to check his horoscope. Three minutes of this. Yep. And then he reads his horoscope, which just says, like, crazy shit's going to happen to you today. Get outside. Ask someone who knows. Yeah. And he's like, that's ominous. Someone who knows why that must be the 900 number psychic I continually call all the time. Yes. And so he calls a 900 number psychic who it's interesting. This is one of my favorite things about the movie is he calls this lady whose name is Madam Zora, but she has to like, like struggle to get ready to answer the phone and be set. So you can tell she's kind of a failure otherwise. Like she can't believe someone's actually calling. And then when she hears it's Winslow, she's like, oh, God, can this please just be the last phone call? I, I don't, you, you need to stop calling this number. You call me way too often. And I'm like, aren't you hourly? Aren't you getting paid by the minute from this guy? Yeah. I mean, he is your whale. No, this is the thing is she at this point is like, I mostly feel bad because you can tell like, oh, this guy calls all the time. And she's like, oh, I'm ruining this dude's life. Yeah. But I'm st- even then I'm like, yeah, if you don't ruin this dude's life, you won't have one either. That's that's painfully apparent. <laughs> that's you- what the shtick is. Yeah, this is the pig you don't eat all at once, lady. The weird thing to me is he doesn't call, like, this person, Madame Zora, does not have her own number. Instead, it is like... A routing thing, yeah. The Divine Light Institute or whatever. And then it goes to her because it gets routed through some place in Mississippi. And... It's weird that they're like, oh, yeah, it continually goes to her, though. Right. Because I'm like, you'd think it would just go to whoever. I'm guessing you can select your psychic of choice or something. Maybe we Maybe? don't hear that. I mean, it's the kind of thing that if, the, if that was true, the movie would have dedicated several minutes to it to it, let us know. Be like, have him being like, no, not Madam Ocula. No, not Madam knows everything all. No, I want Madam Zora. That, you know, that kind of just like stretch it. Well, but yeah, but this is her. assuming that they would think about their premise well, in any go, way. Let's just go ahead and say everything about this is incorrect. Everything. Why does she have an office? <laughs> she doesn't need an office. She has a phone number that routes to her. She can do her job from home and save a shit ton of money. And even says that at one point. Yeah. So second, she has an office, but it's clear that she doesn't take in-person clients. She is a phone operator only. You can tell because she doesn't know how to do anything unless she has a big book in front of her labeled How to Read Tarot for Dummies. Yes. So she can't do in-person things. Which leads to our second question of why does she have an office and the follow-up secondary question of why does she dress up like a medium? Yeah, she's dressed up in full fortune teller costume and you're like, 
who's that for? Mm-hmm. Is that is that just for you? Do you get up in the morning and put that on so you're like, ah, I'm ready to LARP? <laughs> yeah. Like, if you work at Hot Dog on a Stick, but you never have to go in the front, do you still wear the hat and the tank top? I mean, I, yes, because yeah. you work at Hot Dog on a Stick, and whoever true. runs it is like, you put that fucking shit on. Put that fucking hat on. You are going to look like a goddamn fire hydrant, and I, I don't give a shit. <laughs> but it's, it is definitely one of those things where you're like, oh, this is just because they were like, well... I've already thought of the idea of having someone be a fortune teller and have this be the love interest for my stupid photographer guy. And they have to get together somehow. I guess she works in the building. Why? That's not a concern I have. It's so not a concern that there's a point in the movie where she questions it. Yeah, when she's like, oh, I should just work from home. I'm like, yes, obviously you should. You should have made that realization a long time ago. Why are you paying for a full-ass office? I've had this conversation with myself a million times where I'm like, I should get us some office space so we can record in, like, a nice office. And, like, we could rent it out to other San Diego podcasters and shit. And then I'm like, wait a minute. My garage is good enough. No one gives a fuck if the podcast is recorded in a garage. And also... Getting one of those fucking, like, you actually have your own room with your own door to it, and you're not sharing, like, office space with anyone else, is fucking expensive. Yeah, we're never, well, granted, this is made in in a a long-ago time period. 95. But but still, Hollywood, like, there's no way she can afford that shit. So, you know, let's not harp on that, because it doesn't fucking matter. No. No one's ever going to go to a portrait studio for children in one of those desperate times apartment buildings, either. Anytime you see one of those fucking seven stories with, like, nothing but lawyers and public notaries and stuff and you see a photo studio in there that's disreputable yeah that's <laughs> that's not the kind of photo studio that they that you that you initially think it is yeah you don't want to go in there because that's not the photos you want exactly you're gonna bring your kid in there and be like yeah we're here for our portrait session and he'll be like ah fine let me shove the saint andrew's crosses out of the way all right well everyone get over to the black couch over there <laughs> you all wore two pairs of pants like i told you right that couch is messy <laughs> <laughs> try not to make direct skin contact <laughs> yeah exactly but uh so yeah he calls her and she's just she does a psychic reading for him i guess she's using a tarot deck yeah i've become an expert in the tarot because i don't know if you knew this or not but john and i recently wrote and and published our own tarot deck that'll be coming out very soon yeah we have a tarot deck coming there's, there's a there's a dungeon meister tarot deck that's going to exist so i before prior to it i knew very little now i do a, trem- a tremendous amount but anyone knows enough to know that her deck only has the uh, the, the face cards. Yeah, it's only the major arcana. It's only the major arcana. She and also, bother. these are like giant novelty cards because they are the size of someone's head. Yeah. And so she deals him a tarot set where you got to assume that she's been doing this job long enough that she hates this guy, but not long enough that she knows what any of these fucking cards mean yet. Like, she just does not care. She is the most uninterested in her own job. Yeah, it's, but it's weird to me because, like, she sits there with the book open trying to figure out what all of these cards mean and gives the whole reading that's, you know, basically the plot of the movie of, oh, weird bad things are going to happen and it'll all happen when you're trapped in a place and then uh, eventually you'll meet someone and be in love. Anyway, that's the plot of the movie. Yeah. But later when she's t- when they eventually meet up and they're talking she's like oh and i did a reading for this one guy and oh, I, I do these readings all the time and i'm like then how do you not know any of this neither does he which is weird because he apparently calls multiple times a day to have his tarot read but there's a point where she's reading his tarot and again keep in mind she only uses the major arcana there's what 21 of those and that's it 27 i Tw- think is it 20 okay sure maybe uh, I, I, so 
she pulls the devil and he goes, oh, the devil, something Satanish is upon us. Whatever will we do? And she's like, no, no, it just doesn't mean devil, devil influences. It doesn't just mean Satan. And I'm like, how does he not know that? If he's 100 percent obsessed with tarot. <laughs> the one thing I will give this movie is I was like, all right, throw the death card so someone can go. I'm going to die. <laughs> I'm just glad that there isn't a spooky ghost tarot card. Maybe there should be. Ah, uh, yes. the <laughs> Our major arcana, including, you know, the fool and the hanged man and the spooky ghost. <laughs> the Frankenstein. Uh. Oh, I'm afraid you've drawn the creature from the Black Lagoon. <laughs> that means lagoonish things may occur. It doesn't mean the actual creature, the creature from the Black Lagoon. The, yeah, the Fishman creature is not normally actually part of this card. It's uh, not it's, a literal mm. creature. It's more of the... Mm idea of a creature yeah and specifically it means that lagoonish things may happen i i'm not specifically lagoons it might be a bay or a tide pool or a slough it could be any one of those kind of things you know <laughs> uh, a river delta good lord <laughs> but yeah that is the setup for this and then they finally end up having like okay he hangs up He's going to leave for the day, and he goes to the elevator, where, of course, he has to have just a long, drawn-out scene with the fucking security guard Who again. Jump, jumps out and puts him in a chokehold. He's like, oh, I thought you were a little girl. He's like, you thought I was a little girl, and so you put me in a chokehold. Do you put little girls in chokeholds? And he's like, oh, oh sure, all the time. Like, right. I don't like anyone here. And then he just leads, he just goes like, I don't want you to do that. You'll be fired if you put any little girls in chokeholds. Do you understand me? I really, he just kind of goes, okay, okay, you whatever. I'm going to go do my job. Instead of like, dude, you're a mall photographer in a fucking bow tie. I think even as a security guard, I outrank you because I'm allowed to walk around the building and you have to stay in your little cubby hole. <laughs> <laughs> because if the other people see you here, they'll get angry. <laughs> So, but that is when we find out that the little baby ghost has gotten free because the elevator's all fucked up. Yes. And it is stopping on every floor because the baby ghost is a trickster, a prankster, and it's just hitting every button. So it stops on every floor. Yeah. Which doesn't sound like that much of an inconvenience when, as Winslow does, you work on the sixth floor of the building. Like, yeah, you're going to stop on the fifth, fourth, third, and second, but then you're in the lobby. Yeah. And. You know, maybe if it's, oh, super inconvenient, be like, you know what, maybe go down a couple floors and be like, I'll take stairs for the rest. Yeah. Uh, the worst inconvenience could possibly be is that you caught it on its way up, and it's going to go up to the ninth, which is the top floor, and then back down. And, oh, won't that be a waste of your time? But instead, he grumpily uses it to get to the floor where, I forget his name, Willie or Ernie or something, Fred. Elliot. Elliot. Elliot, the 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 building superintendent, uh, or supervisor, or whatever, I think he's he is whoever is in charge of fixing things. His office is a desk immediately adjacent to the elevator on one of the floors. Yeah, and I think he's on the top floor, which is what gets me. Is I'm like, hold on, you're coming to the top floor to tell him that the <laughs> this stops on every floor. Uh huh. Which means. You had to have, I guess, gotten on 
when it was on a, in when it was phase. going up yeah because you had to have not been like well i'm gonna go all the way down and then be so incensed about this stop on every floor all the way back up just to tell him you might be i mean winslow as a character be largely due to the fact that the movie is a lot of just camera on character while they ramble on about nothing in particular is the kind of guy who just left to his own devices will prattle on about how he's grumpy about something for an hour so, so yeah, you, I, I would expect he'd be perfectly fine to stand in a boring elevator and be like, why would you do this to me, God? Haven't I suffered enough? I'd just like to go home and feed my fish and make my plate of fettuccine Alfredo that I like so much because I saw it once in a magazine. Oh, a fancy magazine about Hollywood. And I'm so bad that I'm in Hollywood, but I'm not in Hollywood. I'm in an elevator. He's the kind of guy that would do that. I, I'm just going to say. So, it, yeah, it made sense. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The conversation that he has with Elliot representative is, I'm going to also say, has the only joke in here, full stop, I think, the only real joke, because when he's like, Elliot, you gotta, you gotta look at the elevator, you gotta fix it, there's a problem with it, and he's like, well, what's wrong? Well, it stops on every floor. Oh, that's what an elevator should do. And I'm like, that's a good joke. You did it. It's Elevators stop on every floor. It's a classic dad joke. It, it's it's lined up with the, hey, dad, there's holes in my shoes. And he goes, yeah, that, mine too. That's how I get my feet in there. Yeah. I'm a dad. Ha <laughs> ha. It's, I was like, look, one joke that actually exists in here. Yeah. But Hooray. other than that, basically his conversation with Elliot is the same as two other characters we haven't gotten to yet. The two crooks where it's a dumb guy talks to a slightly dumber guy and gets exasperated by how he is slightly dumber. Yep. And it goes on at length for minutes and minutes at a time. But yeah, he just... A lot like our podcast. <laughs> a lot like it. Uh-huh. In no way dissimilar mm -hmm. from this podcast. Uh, one dumb guy talks to a slightly dumber guy. Who's and, who? Yeah, we'll let you decide. Doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, Winslow just sort of continually berates Elliot until he's like, fine, I guess I'll look at the elevator and gets up to go do so. Which he does by looking at the elevator. Like, you know, you not get getting it. inside, yeah, just, just looking, at, looking it. at it. And then uh, Winslow's like, what are you doing? Well, you told me to look at the elevator. And then he's like, fucking fix the elevator. To which Elliot gets slightly grumpy, sits down, and eats his sandwich. A cheese and pimento sandwich, which everyone has to pass by and comment on how gross that is. Yeah. Well, no. Because this is our character development. When he leaves and the later scene when they come back, Winslow passes by and he's like, ooh, cheese and pimento, and takes a bite. Whereas when Madame Zora goes past it, she's like, ew, cheese and pimento, that's disgusting. Yeah. So these two couldn't be more different. <laughs> How will they ever get along? 
But yeah, now Elliot theoretically is in the elevator fixing it, but you'd be hard-pressed to believe that, because later he'll just walk out of an elevator and into the security guard, mopping his brow and going, shoosh! And you're like, I guess he, he fixed Golly, it. Golly, this elevator something. stops on all these floors. Anyway, I didn't fix it, and I don't give a shit anymore. Now, we gotta get to the, the crooks, because they're sprinkled throughout. The, the crooks in this are what I want to say is the reason this is an hour and a half long. Yeah. Cause you could have added, you could have removed them entirely and the movie would have been literally unchanged as the crooks intersect with the rest of the plot for precisely one second mm -hmm. and never again. Yes. And the, the basic gimmick to the crooks is that there's a dumb one and a dumber one and they're going to rob this building. Their whole deal is it's Vinny and Rocco and, they're they're New York toughs and they're here to rob this building, but uh, Rocco is the type who's like, "Oh, I take everything you say literally," and he's like, "Ah, you, uh, Rocco, you're giving me a, a brain tumor." He's like, "Oh, well, geez, you should see a doctor for your brain tumor. That's very serious." Mm -hmm, that kind of shit for minutes and minutes at a time. There are three scenes of them doing that for about six minutes at a time before they even get out of their car. God, every time it cut back to them and they were just still in the car outside looking at the building, I'm like, are you, is the gag going to be that they never actually go in? Because that would have been hilarious. <laughs> that would have been much better. They give these guys so many different bits of business. You get the extreme literal stupidness from Rocco or whatever. You get Vinny constantly chain-smoking cigars and messing with his fedora. And also, they are both constantly talking about their uncles and aunts and making up new names for them and talking about how dumb and stupid all their family is. Well, yeah, their, their overarching gimmick between the two of them is we have a bunch of family and all of them have stupid things they do. So yes. it's like, oh, you remember Uncle Squashy and he'd put carrots in his ears? And mm -hmm. you're like, okay, great. Oh, I wish Uncle Miguel was with us on this this one because he can't talk as much as you because he ain't got no tongue, you remember? You snap a head. You're just like, all right, I guess that's a gag. It's, I guess. It's something. I, it's, I suppose a character trait that you have a large, dumb family as well. <laughs> I think one of my favorite little bits about the two of them is when they finally decide to break into the building, one of them goes up to the closed like service garage gate and is like, well, this thing is locked here. We can't get this open. And the other one says, that's why we brought this crowbar what we did. And he holds up an obvious tire iron, not a crowbar. And then in the next scene, he's like, plus I got this tire iron and holds it up again. And I'm like, did they realize that wasn't a crowbar and correct it, but not go back and fix the previous scene? Of course they did. <laughs> Look, you can go back and have reshoots to add things, but by God, if you've already shot something. That's in the can. That, that's footage you have already. Look, we don't know how to edit outside the, VA, the VCR camera we're shooting this on. This movie has that magnetic tape hum that tells you a VCR motor was playing near it. Huh? Uh, these guys, as I mentioned, will not really intersect with the rest of the plot because the baby ghost thing is going to just so vaguely harass the rest of them. No, they all, they're all such fucking chicken shits about everything that mostly what happens is the baby ghost doesn't even show up on screen. They just hear high-pitched child laughter. And then they go, whoop, 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 and run out of the room. Like, the guy playing Elliot fancies, fancies himself a third of the Stooges. Yeah. And so anytime he runs, he's always like, ring, 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 whoop, 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 as he, like, runs around. Like, he's doing a cheap Zoidberg impression or something. But the, the, uh, the thieves here 
are, I mean, I'll just basically go ahead and say their entire plot is we are here to steal things, but every time they walk around, they're like, all right, let's go steal stuff. All these doors are locked. Well, that's why we have a tire iron. I will not use it to open a door. <laughs> no. Be- because we can't shoot that. No. We don't have the budget to break a door handle in this office building because we won't be able to replace it. Dr. Letterkenny DDS would be real mad if we broke into his dentist waiting room. We can't do that. Yeah. So instead, it is just them either for several scenes sitting in their car outside or wandering the halls of an office building mm. talking about how it'll be so great when they eventually steal something. And eventually they hit a point where they're like trying to steal one of those cheap, shitty or uh, shitty uh, fake palm trees that people leave in the lobbies of well, buildings. Yeah, Cuz like eventually this. they're like, "Oh, we should just leave. This place sucks and we haven't been able to rob everything cuz every door is locked." Mm. And he's like, "Well, I don't want to leave empty-handed. All right, well, why don't we just take this tree then?" What are we going to do with a tree? That kind of shit. We also, from these two, get a straight up, when is a door not a door joke? Well, yes. Because, of course, they've been going through like, oh, all these doors are locked. We'll never get anything. Mm -hmm. And then Vinny's like, hey, look, that door uh, over there, it's a jar. And he's like, oh, man, your brain tumor must be so much worse than we thought. That's not a jar. That's a door. If it was a jar, it'd be made of glass and small and have some kind of jam or jelly in it because that's how you can tell what a jar is. I'm going to keep explaining what a jar is for about four minutes too long. You mean your head's a jar, you snap a head. Now get over there and go. We're going to get wrong. We're going to the door. Like, like, just like, listen like, to the jerky like boys. My uncle, my uncle Polly would have known what a fucking door was and I'm going to smoke a cigar. And he's like, oh, dude, just shut the fuck up. Just shut. You could just go across the street and get a sandwich instead of making this movie. It is. There's a sandwich place right there. It is amazing to me how everyone is terrible to watch on camera. Like, there's no one who's even, like, accidentally fun to watch. No. Everyone is just either very terrible because they're like, oh, you gave them just the worst shtick possible and they're trying their best and are bad at it, mm-hmm. or they have nothing and are doing nothing. Yeah, like, you can, there's there's tears to this as well. Everyone's in bad. Like, it's more like the tear judging is in the visible spectrum of light, you know? Like, it's all the shitty part, but there's tears to that. Because you've got the family that you only see at the beginning of the end. They don't act at all. Like, the mom looks at the ground when she says her lines, like she's in trouble. She's like, how oh, dare you, my child is not a delivery service. And I'm, I'm just... And she like looks to the camera to make sure she did it right. All right, can I leave? The the only the only one that's like a real actor that's been in other shit is Estevez, and you can only tell he's better than everyone else because he's more willing to get in their space. <laughs> like all the other ones, they'll stand at this this safe three foot distance from each other, but he's the one who's like, I'm gonna get right up to you because he knows how to do blocking at least. Kind of. Yeah. Uh There's more than one scene where Madame Zora's like. Stop fucking cupping up on me. I want you to stand two feet away from me at all times, please. Do not do not come near me. And I got the impression that that was literally just out of character dialogue they left in. Yeah. That is just the actress being like, Jesus Christ, get away from me, Estevez. <laughs> Estevez, you sound you smell like a 70s hotel room. You smell like five ashtrays. Get back. <laughs> away. Back. Ah. Your dead teeth are giving me sads. Ugh. Now, the, uh, eventually they try and leave, do both Estevez and Zora, who, you know, as we mentioned, works in the same office building. Uh, but the main door is locked because baby ghost, apparently. Mm -hmm. But again, because they don't have, 
the budget to be able to actually lock the front door, they will only pull on one of the two double doors that are there because the other one is very clearly open, but they're like, we can only mime that one of these is locked. (laughs) So the, the one side of this that is locked will pull on and not bother doing the other one because we don't have the money to lock the front door to this. Obviously, they can't afford to break a window either, so no one just grabs something and breaks the windows to get out. Instead, they just stand there doing the miming I'm yelling through this, like, single pane of glass. There's, like, oh. you know, doing the open mouth, like, I'm yelling, I am ah, yelling. Ah, help. <laughs> Before eventually just getting exasperated and going back up. Yeah. Now, eventually, obviously, everyone in the movie is going to pair off in a little twosome so we can have the ghost chase them around. And that's going to be, a family is gone, and they won't be back till morning. So we've got Elliot pairing up with the random security, security guard, guard guy. Uh, and the two of them are convinced that the baby ghost that they've seen is a space alien. And they think if they catch it, they will alternatively save humanity or make lots of money. Yes, because they're like, I don't believe in ghosts, but I do believe in aliens. So clearly this is an alien and this is the precursor to an invasion force. So their whole thing is alternatively running after or running from this ghost. Yeah. Meanwhile, Madame Zora, uh, she finds out that uh, that Winslow is locked in his own uh, stu- studio and because he's yelling for help in there. Now, the two of them don't really know each other, obviously. She's his psychic, but he thinks she lives in Tupelo, Mississippi. That's an important plot point, um, or at least something that they say over and over again, so you think it's going to be important. Uh, so, uh, so he- she helps get the door open but then get scared by the spooky baby ghost and so they hide in their his studio and talk about discovering that they know each other and again they can't leave because baby ghost somehow magics the door from being able to be opened yes so uh so now the two of them are locked in a room and they're just grudgingly talking to each other because one thing i don't know if did you mention that after she gave him the psychic reading she did her own psychic reading and got the exact same reading again i didn't but it was just Oh, I'm going to do my own reading. Here are all literally the exact same cards in the same order. Yeah. So, oh, my goodness. So she's it's going to happen to me. She's never believed a word of what she's done as a psychic, but now she's got this itchy feeling because she got the same reading twice. So the two of them are in there doing that and making fun of each other's names and kind of just being shitty to each other, which is important because, you know, they, so they're supposed to end up together by the end of this. Yeah. It For a movie called Baby Ghost, the Baby Ghost while occasionally showing up, does almost nothing. Mm -hmm. Like, aside from apparently being able to magically make it so doors don't open, like, he cuts up a picture with some scissors once and drops a bucket of water on one of the the thieves' heads. Mm -hmm. And other than that, mostly is just wandering around giggling. (laughs) Yeah, he he does very little. He just sort of... Floats around and goes, <laughs> we have one sound clip. It's three seconds long and we will use it over and over. We also definitely, I don't, 1995 was too soon for the free music archives, but I have to assume they hit up some equivalent of it. A lot of the, mu- the music in this sounds like Muzak offcuts of things. Like, I don't know if you noticed this, but I noticed that anytime they needed tense music in the movie, they played the rhythm through line from the Foo Fighters ever long uh, at, at length, but no other portion of the song. So there was two. They they just be walking down a hallway and you hear this da 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 da. It was like wow, that's clearly Everlong. They are playing Everlong, except they only have the one part of it. 
And every other song in the in the movie, you can do the same trick. You can figure out what fucking song it is. I mean, man. <laughs> now, granted, you already heard their actual song that they wrote for the movie. Yes. Because that's the intro that John used for the episode. Uh, but everything else is just these Muzak offcuts that go on for forever and will start and stop at just random times throughout the scene. Hmm. <sighs> okay, so, yeah. Now, it, during their conversation, we find out that uh, Winslow, thi- or, or her real name isn't Madame Zora, but she swears him to secrecy and says that he can't laugh at her real name, which I believe is Mildred Kerbopel. Yep. Mildred Kerbopel. Yeah. Uh, which, and he laughs because that's a silly name, thinks Winslow Cobblepot. Yeah. And then she's like, well, Winslow Cobblepot is also a dumb name. And one of the weird things about Winslow, as far as character traits go, is that he is explosively ragey about certain things. It's very weird. It does not make sense. When they first introduce him and he's like, oh, gee, oh, I can't, I can't make this, this kid smile for, oh, gee, oh, geez, oh, don't, don't do that. Oh. And you're like, oh, he's the put upon, like kind of goofy mousy little guy who life just you know keeps giving lemons to and he doesn't know how to make lemonade yeah but then throughout the movie it's constantly like and then someone will say something he's like god damn it and you're like where the fuck did that come from like i can even see that as being a character trait on purpose you know a little nebbish guy until you push him too far there's that's like laverne hooks from police academy or that that one scene in heavy metal with the little janitor who turns into the giant beef muscle dude. That's a that's a common enough Bruce Banner Hulk. That's a common enough character trait. But it, for something, it doesn't feel organic here. Partially because when he's nebbish, it's because he's around people like these little kids, like customers and stuff. But when he's around the other employees at work in this mall, he is always mean to them. He just gets meaner sometimes. Yeah, he's just an asshole when someone isn't paying him. Yeah, which again. Man, no one in this movie is good to watch. You're like, I don't like anyone here. Everyone here is mean and shitty. Yeah, so she's like, you swear you won't laugh? And he's like, no, why on earth would I ever laugh at a name? That's ridiculous. Okay, my name's Mildred Kerbopel. And he just goes, <laughs> that's the stupidest name I've ever heard. <laughs> oh, like, like a wrestler from the 60s? Yeah. <laughs> and then she goes, but your name's Winslow Cobblepot. And he, he just stands up. That's and, a perfectly good yeah, name. How dare you? He leaps out of his chair and gets immediately in her face. And he's got his fists up. And he's like, that's a perfectly good family name. The Cobblepots have been around for 150. And you're like, whoa, dude, take it down like 12 notches. What the fuck was that? Yeah. Just flying off the handle at nothing i also like mildred kerbopel like a female wrestler no that's not like a female wrestler yeah except apparently it is because she's like yeah my mom was a wrestler and i know wrestling moves now so i guess like he means like the female wrestler as opposed to that's the perfect name for a female wrestler you know like like it's a difference if you've been like you know like the famous female wrestler from the 60s weird (laughs) it's a weird movie everything is wrong every single thing is wrong but they, the meat of this movie is them sitting around jawing at each other yeah. until they eventually leave. Yeah. And then they come across eventually the box, which has inside of it a piece of paper that explains the backstory. That's like, hey, in this box in like 1630, whatever, a baby died and we put its ghost in here because it's mischievous and a practical joker and uh it should never be let out it should be contained forever and i'm like fuck dude 
you have the spirit of a dead child and you're like, never let it find rest. It must be contained within a box forever because it is slightly annoying. <laughs> yeah. And, and the two of them are having this conversation. Like, I, I like that Winslow starts with a very reasonable question. Wait, we're in Hollywood. How the fuck did this Massachusetts 1630s dead baby get here? And Mildred goes, well, the guy who co- constructed the building, maybe. And that's the end of it. Yep. That's the full explanation verbatim. Yep. It's just, oh, this was from the other side of the country in the 1600s. Why is it here? I don't know. Maybe the guy who made this building. Meh. Don't care. <laughs> the movie does not care about so many things and yet cares so deeply about others that you're just like, why? Why do you need to give us like 10 minute conversations about like, oh, well, you see, the person I work for is actually someone who's from Detroit. And then he found out that 900 numbers make a lot of money. So he made a 900 psychic thing. But you see, he doesn't know anything. But I joined. I'm like, I no one gives a fuck. No one cares about this. I can tell you the answer. The answer is that movies are 90 minutes long. (laughs) It's just the things this film decides to focus on versus what it decides to go, I don't know, maybe a thing happened anyway, (laughs) is very weird to me. Anytime something interesting is brought up, they're like, huh, weird, anyway. And you're like, no, don't just anyway the plot. They're like, ah, uh, we need to go have a 10-minute conversation about donuts now. Yeah. What? <laughs> so, meanwhile, Elliot and the security guard are bumbling around having a long conversation about how they, they've convinced themselves that the ghost, because it's green, is probably a space alien, and it's the first wave of an invasion, and if they catch it, they'll rescue humanity and also make a lot of money, says Elliot a bunch of times. But they never try to catch it. They just keep hearing it laugh and running away doing whoop-whoops. And eventually, the, their plots collide when Elliot, I'm sorry, when uh, Winslow decides to leave a trail of donuts to for the ghost because they had recently found a messed up plate of Entenmann's. Yep. Uh, and they were like, who could possibly destroy a plate of Entenmann's? And I'm like, office workers. Yeah. That's, that's, this, the, that's what those are for. I love that the conversation is, oh, man, uh, who could have possibly fucked up all these donuts? It was like, cops? No, this is far too neat for cops. Yeah, they would be way dirtier. Yeah. <laughs> ah, good job. Nice praxis movie. Yeah, there's a little gag there. But but yeah, they're just like, who could eat an entire tray of Entenmann's? Dude, you left it out in an office park. L- literally anyone in this office building. <laughs> Are you kidding me? If I'm in an office building and there's a table with some open Entenmann's, you better believe I'm having a donut. Having worked in an office park like that, I can tell you there's one guy sitting in a closed off cubicle. He's like a probably computer guy and he's got three quarters of that fucking thing. And he's Goddamn put, right. And he's put it in a, a Ziploc bag and he's taking it home and he's going to eat for a week. Yep. Cause God damn it. He works in that office. His life has gone awry, mm-hmm. but some, someone, some sweet angel brought Entenmann's that day and now he will eat like a king for a day. Yeah. I, I worked at Trader Joe's for a couple of years and I learned really early on not to bring treats to the, to the Trader Joe's. Oh. I mean, it, because it's this is going to sound mean and selfish and non-praxis, but I, I wanted everyone to taste my delicious holiday treats, right? So I'd come in with a tray of cookies, and more than once, I would bring in a tray of cookies, and the first person who saw it would grab it, grab a Ziploc bag out of their backpack, upend the entire thing into the backpack, put it away, and go back to work. Wow. More than once. And I was like, I'm not going to bring food here. I'm just, I'm just feeding people, like a, a person who makes more than me. I'm not doing this again. Ah. Uh. <laughs> so but anyway that's a rant 
Rather, he's like, I'll set a donut trap. Yeah, we're going to lead a trail of donuts because we've also apparently managed to manifest an entirely new box of Entenmann's out mm -hmm. of nowhere. Yeah. And he leads a trail of donuts to the box. And he's like, all right, this... This baby ghost is going to eat a bunch of donuts and then get, when it gets next to the box, we'll close a box on him. Yeah, which causes Mildred to just laugh at him. She's just like, oh, I what hope a the dumb ghost, idea. I hope the ghost likes to fall for very stupid plans. Well, do you have a plan? No. <laughs> so they try the plan, and it would have worked, too, if it wasn't for those lousy security guards and Elliot's. Because they pop up, they see the ghost moving down the trail of donuts, and Elliot's like, hey, alien, we're gonna catch ya, and we're gonna save humanity, and we're gonna make a lot of money. And then he just sort of boldly charges at the ghost. And which both of them fall down, they just and the fall ghost down. just kind of fucks off. He doesn't even do anything to them, they just fall down because they're stupid. Yep. Too stupid to stand, and so the ghost fucks off, and they're like, oh man, and now they have... You know, a big conversation where they have to bring Elliot and the security guard in on what they know that, no, this is not an alien. This is a baby ghost and it needs to go back in this box, but it already knows about donuts. So I'll use the little handheld tiger video game that Timmy the Kid left in my office today. And I love that we've eventually more or less established Mildred as the character who points out that this movie is stupid while the movie is stupid. Yes. Because she's already been like, that donut plan is dumb as fuck. And also, why do I work in an office building? Wouldn't I just do this job from home? <laughs> yeah. So she's she's been our, our compass for correct ideas. So she just goes, why would a, a, a dead baby from the 1600s know what a fucking tiger handheld electronic device is? Oh, yeah, because Winslow is just like, if there's one thing I know, it's that this is a an object that no child or baby will ever be able to resist. I have cousins and nephews, and I know that this video game is irresistible. And she's like, this is a baby from the 1600s. It does not know what a video game is. And he's just like, fuck you, moving on. He, he was like, yeah, well, I'm Joe Estevez, and this is a movie from 1995. No one knows what a video game is. That's why I've got this Tiger hel uh, handheld electronic Street Fighter 2, but we're going to have it play Pac-Man noises. The real Pac-Man noises. Huh? I'm assuming we didn't license those. Let's hope no one finds out. <laughs> well, we found out, Estevez, and we're coming for you. <laughs> Bad news, Estevez. Both of us work for Namco. <laughs> you may not have known this, but my uncle works for Nintendo. <laughs> Which isn't relevant. It's just something we wanted you to know. We work for Namco, the company that makes Pac-Man. Yes. And we're coming for your ass. And my uncle wants you to know that the next console is going to be super sweet, and I get a copy of it before <laughs> it's out. And that Smash Brothers will have Goku. <laughs> so they put the fucking Tiger Electronic on the ground, despite Mildred's protestations. And it turns out she was she's wrong anyway. The ghost just shows up and starts playing fucking Pac-Man. Yeah. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Fucking Mildred is just there to be like, hey, this is dumb. And the movie's like, yes, I don't care. <laughs> so eventually, now that the ghost is playing Pac-Man, the three men cower in a, in a hallway where they're like, Mildred, go put it in the box. So she goes up and squishes it into the box. And right as she's finishing, the the family from the photo shoot comes walking in. We've skipped what's going on with the with the crooks. Don't worry, we'll get back to them. No, like it's I not said, like it fucking matters. We've already done all of the business from the crooks because, yeah. as I mentioned before, 
They intersect for one second. Yeah. That one second is right now. Yeah. They run past. They run past in this scene. They do not talk to them. No. They do not interact with them. They literally just cross paths once. Yeah. So she's squishing the ghost, which looks for all the world like crumpling up a puppet, because it is, into this box, right as the fo- the photography family comes walking back in uh, and sees someone that, that the tiger electronic handheld has fallen on the ground and broken. Yeah. And they're like, oh, we came to get my son's video game. But now it is broken. Shame on you, Winslow. What are you still doing here? I don't know what it is, but it certainly seems as though you're mistreating other people's property. How dare you do this to a little boy? I demand immediate restitution. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, just one line. You don't need to say all the possible lines. Yep. And then, you know, of course, then every possible response... Well, gee, I don't know. We were here all night. This uh, seems the game's okay. We'll replace the game. I think we'll buy a new game. I'm like, pick one. Just pick one response. And he eventually does, because he just goes, you know what I think, ma'am, is that you should shut your big fat mouth. And then then he starts (laughs) high-fiving all the dudes, and she's like, well, let's just take our family and go. And then he switches right back into Nebish, because he still wants that check. Yeah. Oh, wait, the check. check. Oh, meanwhile, uh, Ingrid or Mildred or whatever is like, see, this is why you send a woman to do things, I guess, because she closed the the box. Yeah, if you want something done, you send a woman. And he just goes, well, now I don't know about that because of women are kind of, you know, right. Am I right, guys? Am I right about how women are, you know, like, come on. And like, what are we doing? What are we fucking doing? But now we're mostly done. The room is open. You can tell because the family managed to walk in. It's morning. The ghost is captured. The haunting has ended. Yes. They leave and he's just like, well, golly, what are you going to do, Madam Zora? And she's like, I'm going to go home and I'm going to sleep for a week. And he's like, well, gee, do you think when you wake up, you might want to get together? Huh? Like on a date? Mm -hmm. And she's like, "Uh, yeah, sure. Because that's what the movie says. Fine. Whatever. I don't care. And he's like, hot damn, on one condition. You have to get rid of that dumbass bow tie, which we haven't mentioned yet. But for, as far as photographers go, he dresses like he works at Farrell's Ice Cream. Yes. Um, and he's like, uh, he does the explosive thing again. My fucking bow tie? This Why, bow- it's a perfectly good bow tie. I've been in this family for 150 years. I've killed women with like worse than you with this bow tie. And then the end of the movie is the two crooks are like, well... At least we didn't leave empty-handed. We have this box with chains on it and a padlock. And it's the whole, nay, our cousin Elvira, you know her measurements. Why don't you try that as the combination? And then the credits before we have to see the fucking ghost composite effect again. Yep, that's it. That's the that's the whole of baby ghost. I think my favorite thing that we went unmentioned so far is just all the shots, the exterior shots of a building. Yes. There's... Use. there's- and there's one where they zoom in on a yes, window. The <laughs> zoom in on the window of an upper floor of a fucking building where you're like, man, you must have looked like a real big creepy weirdo just sitting out there doing a fucking zoom. Like, there we go. Yeah, let's zoom in on this building. And I guess the idea is supposed to be to convey that whatever's happening is happening in the hallway that that window is connected to. But it does. It's, it, at no point do you feel like this building they keep shooting has anything to do with anything. Well, especially because... The building is much larger than nine floors, which yes. is what they keep saying this building is. Yeah. You're like, no, that's like an actual big Hollywood office building. You are talking about something else entirely. Yeah. 
what they should have done is go to one of those like sand cut sand slash tan color buildings in the same parking lot as a Chick-fil-A that's like eight stories tall. And all it has is like there was a one store on the bottom floor that sells pinatas. And then the rest of it is like cheap lawyers. Yes, that's the building they should have been using. But instead. Yeah, I, it's just so. Oh, man. And that's the end. And we get the baby ghost song again. Yay. Oh, Lord, this movie is so fucking rough. I mean, just even watching it is rough because trying to pay attention to this was very difficult for yep. me. I will let you know. No, no, same thing. I had multiple times where I, was, I looked up and I was like, oh, fuck, something must have oh, happened. Yeah. This is still going. Yeah. There was a point where, like, I got up and left the room to go to help Sage with something and I didn't even think to pause it. Come back. Same conversation yeah. still like happening. Sub- like subconsciously, I must have been like, "Ad, no, no, no way will anything that happens matter." No, I mean, here's the thing: we went through all of this, and there was no point where I was like, "Well, golly, you forgot whatever." No, because four things happen in this movie, mm-hmm. and in between it is like twenty minutes of bullshit. Yeah, you want to know the scene we forgot to mention? It's the one where the ghost does the classic balancing something on the top of a door trick. So that one of the two crooks gets a, a trash can uh, stuck. I on already his head. said that one of the two things he does is put a trash can of water yeah. on the crook. Yeah, that's fucking whatever. That's that's the that's the most exciting thing that ever happens. Ugh. Anyway, I let's never... let's go ahead and uh, let's give our bests and worsts for Baby Ghost. Jeff, why don't you mm. dig deep? Mm-hmm. And find the best thing about Baby Ghost. I mean, it's going to be the unhinged. I was in nom you know rant when the little girl is hiding behind the barrel and the security guard is wandering around saying he can sense her movements. And he's like, because I was captured in Ho Chi Minh City. I spent two years in Vietnam and I started to eat bugs and rats in the in the internment camp to stay alive. It was horrible, except for the rats, because you could use pepper to tenderize them. And then the meat was actually pretty good. And I was and I was a I was a, 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 a goddamn American hero soldier. And so just ranting like that, and it was at least off-kilter and well-delivered, so that was my favorite thing. Great. What was yours? Uh, I'm going to say the best thing in this movie is... Oh, but an elevator is supposed to stop on every floor. <laughs> and I'm like, great, there was one joke. You did it. You told a joke. A classic dad joke. <laughs> you, congratulations, you managed to put one in there. I also really like the bit where uh, they were talking about how the elevator stops on every floor, and it was Winslow talking to the security guard. And they're like, oh, the, the building's closed and we're, we're all going home for the night. And he's like, yeah, elevator's messed up. Every It goes to every floor. You know how kids are pushing every button. And I'm like, yeah, once. That happens once. Uh, and then the buttons aren't pushed anymore and the elevator works normally. What are you talking about? Is there a kid in there? <laughs> uh, all right. But now for the difficult choice. Mm. What was the worst thing in Baby Ghost? Mm, uh, all of... No, can't. Nope. Nope. Can't, nope. You mm. got to pick one... One sliver. There's this. 80, I want you to give this, me a scene. Yeah, yeah. One scene or there's one this, line. There's this one part of the movie. It runs about 86 minutes. <laughs> no, uh, okay. I think my least favorite thing is Elliot's, outside of that one elevator joke, him just kind of doofing around like he thinks he's a three stooge. He just fucking sucks. He reminded me so much of the guy from wrestling, the, the brother-in-law from Wrestling Christmas Miracle. Oh. It's a fucking shitty nobody actor just wandering around me like, oh, I do I'm going to get rich off this, a dorp, dorp, dorp. I mean, here's the thing. He is the only other person, aside from Estevez, that is an actual actor. I know. And at one point, he references Plan 9 from Outer Space. He did. I was going to mention that. Which he was in. Oh, that explains a lot. Yeah. 
He doesn't call it that. He calls it like Invasion of the Saucer. Well, no, he just describes the movie. He's like, oh, there was that movie where aliens showed up and then they went to a graveyard and they raised the dead. Yeah, and he describes Tor from from that movie where he's like, there was this big hulking fellow that couldn't turn his neck and he kept walking forward. Yeah, he just describes Plan 9 but never says it. And there's like, there was some woman in it. Oh, she was a looker. And he does the hourglass hand in the air figure. He, But he does eventually say, because I kept waiting for him to be like, yeah, he's describing Plan 9 from outer space, which, you know, at least he's not referencing Casablanca. That's something. Yeah. But then he goes like, it was called Invasion of the Flying Saucers, because I am think he's like afraid that Ed Wood's going to come back from the dead and sue him. Huh? Um, and he goes, and you know, that film was filmed right here in Hollywood. And then the uh, the security guard's like, really? You don't say? Instead of like, yeah, most movies are filmed in Hollywood, you fucking hack. What the fuck are you talking about? Oh, uh, but yeah, <laughs> there you go. Fun little thing. Conrad Brooks. Yeah. Jesus was Christ. in Plan 9. Okay, that's fair. That's an interesting get. An interesting thing. Yeah, I mean, outside of that, I mean, I guess I think my least favorite thing would be the repeated shtick from the crooks, because so much of it was the same joke over oh, yeah. and over again. I fucking, honestly, that might be mine, because it's just, these two characters have literally no impact on this entire story, yeah. and are completely superfluous, and it's not like oh, well, we're cutting to them because they're so funny. You're like, no, these are terrible. Everything in this is terrible. Yep. But, like, this is pointless and terrible. At least the other ones are there to facilitate the things that are happening. Yeah. No, it's just fucking trash. I just hated every second of it. Yeah. It just, it felt like that got added on later because they could add it on later. Right. (sighs) But I will say my least favorite thing is probably just the sound quality in this and the fact that they have one microphone to share between them. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes that works. Like most of the conversations in this movie are huddled around what you have to assume is a boom mic huddling and imme- or hovering immediately over their head. So they'll just pick up both characters. So they're really close to each other. A lot of the time you can tell they're not because all of a sudden one character sounds like they're in the next room. Yeah. Woof. All right. Uh, let's go ahead and rate the movie. We are going to rate each of us. From zero to five to give this moving a rating from zero to ten. Jeff. It's a rare zero. I don't think this really counts as a film. Like there's there, there there's a plot, sort of, but not that you'd notice. Yeah. And and it's just it's shot on VHS. It's so tr- it's so far gone that I can't even give it the point five I usually give things for being a movie. Yeah. I can't even give it that. So I, it's gonna get the rare zero. I think I'm gonna give it the point five just for being like well, you managed to go a full hour and a half and technically have a story, I guess. Mm. Like, it, I was on the cusp of going full zero as well. I'm, I, this is the kind of thing where if they had stuck to the guns and made this 26 minute, minutes long, I would have been like, grats, you made a short film and it makes sense. And I, I, I'd give you the point five because it's still shitty. But the fact that they meant to 90 minutes by just having characters stand around in hallways and, endlessly repeat their backstories at each other makes me even matter so i'm pulling that half point back away fair enough yeah it's 90 minutes the way that like a really stretched out piece of taffy is a big piece of candy ah. all right that gives us a final score of 0.5 out of 10 for baby ghost avoid at all costs it is boring and pointless and meandering and terrible mm. don't do it Honestly, this is something that having watched it, I was like, God, I don't, this is one of those movies where I'm like, I don't think a riff tracks or 
an MST3K or anything would even save this for me because I'm just like, there's just nothing. Just nothing is happening. Yeah. Rift you Tracks- have to be able to respond to something on screen and nothing is happening. I think that's been a problem for Rift Tracks over the past couple of years. Like both Mystery Science Theater, Red Letter Media, all those other guys, they can afford to pick and choose. You know, they can watch a movie and be like, yeah, this is fucking stupid and terrible, but we won't have any good jokes for it. And they throw it away in pre-production. And I'm going to guarantee you, almost all of them have. But Rift Tracks, Rift Tracks has such a huge output that they don't say no to shit. And so a lot of Rift Tracks movies are the kind of things where you don't make it all the way through. You turn it on, you're like, all right, what you got for me, Mike and Bill and Kevin? I can't wait to... Ah, oh, Jesus. Oh, this, is, this is bad. This movie's so bad, my neck hurts. I just want to... I think I want to die. <laughs> Pretty sure... Pretty sure I'm going to get out of here. I don't even think something like the delightful Bill Corbett saying, like, that's what she said or whatever in there is going to turn my mind around on this one. I just want, you know, Mystery Science Theater hit that train a couple of times. The fucking Starfighters, Red Zone Cuba. Yeah, Red Zone Cuba is the one where I'm like, Jesus Christ, nothing can save this. Yeah, there's a couple of them, but Rift Tracks has that, the ratios way off for them. And I always feel bad about that. Yeah. Anyway, there you go. Yeah. So honestly, just. Give this a pass no matter what's going on with it. It's not worth it. Do not come up to us afterwards and be like, that sounds terrible. I gotta see it. I wish I hadn't. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much for joining us. We will, of course, be back in another couple weeks with yet more Movie Mastery content. But if you would like more, if you would like extra content, or just to support the show because you like what we do and you want us to keep being able to do it, you can go over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash system mastery. There are a bunch of different tiers you can support us at. Anything you support us at helps the show, and it unlocks some more bonus content that we do. And it makes all the episodes you get ad-free. That's right. If you are listening to this and you are not a patron, then you might have noticed some ads pop up. Those are gone if you're a A patron. Yeah, if you go over to Patreon, then... That'll just disappear like all of life's problems when you support us. Uh-huh, that's right. We guarantee it. Mm-hmm. You don't know this, but we actually employ all of those, like, middle- medieval Norwegian fairies that all did, like, one job for a bowl of milk. Yeah. that's that. They all came to work for us. So if you want a bunch of little tiny guys to come around, fix your shoes. Look, we got cobblers. Mm-hmm. We got Wainwrights. <laughs> we got Chandlers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What do you got that's broken? We got a little goblin that can fix it. Problem with your beehives? We got apiarist gnomes. We got them all. Come on down to our discount Norwegian fantasy creatures. (laughs) Uh, And of course, we are doing more TV mastery as well. We are just wrapping up our season with Auto Man and uh, the last episode going on tonight, ending on a doozy, I would say. Yeah, pretty much a doozy. I would give it a doozy. Of a, of, I'd give of it a, a, a doozy will do you. It's a doozy of a pickle. Uh, I'm glad that we're over because it was definitely starting to get a little on tracks, but this is a good way to go out, I think. Yep. So we are going to be doing that, and then we'll switch up to something else. But everything, like I said, helps support us. And if you can't support us financially, you can still, you know, tell someone about the show, give a review somewhere. That makes it so that other people find us and... That grows the show and, again, lets us keep doing what we're doing. And that word of mouth is the only thing we have left because Twitter is being taken away from us as we speak. All social media is slowly crumbling beneath us and such we we need you, our good listeners. The crippling weight of billionaires is destroying our small business 
And until such time as the rest of the nation joins us in picking up hatchets to fix that, uh, we're going to just need word of mouth. Get out there and help us. Turns out late stage capitalism fucks everything. Mm -hmm. Who knew? And I can say hatchets all I want as long as I don't mention any specific billionaires. (laughs) I'm not going to decapitate any specific billionaire. (laughs) Just the concept of billionaires. Exactly. Now, please help us by just telling people how great our show is because we can't anymore. (laughs) We are not allowed to. Uh All right. We will be back in another couple weeks. And until then, all of you out there, have a good one. Design Doc started as a podcast about designing a role-playing game. Over the years, it's turned into so much more. It's a show about the challenges of burnout, making money from creative projects, and what goes into bringing a game to life. Come along with Hannah and Evan in a living documentation of the game design process. One review described it as the audio equivalent of taking a hike with a good friend. You can search for Design Doc on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.